Jesus Christ. It's His will that we are pursuing and, and that we are going after. I think last week <clears throat> weekend uh, with Rick Olin was amazing. Amen? And uh, I really hope that if you were able to partake of that, <clears throat> that what what Rick was ministering on and the whole intention of bringing him here is, is to stir up and to foster, to kindle, again, uh, the flames of re- re- renewal and revival that we want to live in. We want to continue living in that. And so it's, it wasn't a destination. It was, it was just part of the uh, ongoing encouragement of, of what we're called to be as a church. And it was really exciting for me to travel to the different churches with him in the days previous to him coming here and seeing the same uh, heart in all the other churches that we are affiliated with in Michigan is, and, 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 and really throughout the world, uh, a heart of passion, a heart of seeking God's kingdom and the things of God. So we're not alone in this. Uh, uh, I'm coming back uh, at, uh, feeling really good and, and ready to pursue what God has for us. The title of today's message is Fully Restored. Yeah. Kathy likes it. <laughs> That's how I feel after five weeks in Florida. <laughs> Fully restored. Uh, but that's also what God's put in my heart. And I'm going to start with a, a passage uh, from the New Testament that talks about restoration. And then look at a story from the Old Testament that illustrates how this works, how it actually uh, happens in a person's life. So I'm going to begin with Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. We'll read it in three different translations, beginning with the New Living Translations, Acts 3, 19 through 21. <clears throat> and for those of you familiar with Acts, is uh, the beginning of the church, and this is um, uh, uh, the sermon that was being preached to uh, um, the Israelites by the early church. And we're just going to kind of jump right in. Verse 19, it's actually at the conclusion of a long uh, message about uh, the validity of Jesus as as the Lord and what had had proven that. And and it it kind of gets to the conclusion, the call, as it were, uh, that they are to respond to. It says, now repent of your sins and turn to God. Uh, I'm going to actually turn to this. Acts 3. I have it printed out in my notes, but... I still use a paper Bible on Sunday morning. <clears throat> All the rest of the time I use my computer. 319. Right, so this is uh, uh, as, he's, as he's preaching. It says, Repent, <clears throat> uh, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out in the New King James or in the New Living Translation. Now repent of your sins and turn to God that your sins may be wiped away. How many want their sins wiped away? Amen? Wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he, Jesus, must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. And in the message, which is a more uh, modern day uh, paraphrase or wording of the same passage, it's put this way. Now it's time to change your way. That's what repentance means. Turn to face God so he can wipe away your sins. 
pour out showers of blessings to refresh you and send you the Messiah He prepared for you, namely Jesus. For the time being, He must remain out of sight in heaven until everything is restored to order again, just the way God, through the preaching of His holy prophets of old, said it would be. And finally, in the Amplified, which uses all of the words, <coughs> says, So repent, or change your mind and purpose. Turn around and return to God, that your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean. That times of refreshing and recovering from the effects of heat, of reviving with fresh air. Wow. You know, like when you're working outside, you're all sweaty and you walk into an air-conditioned room. Oh, sometimes I just walk up to the air-conditioner, <laughs> hold my shirt up to it. <laughs> Revived with fresh air, may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send to you the Christ, the Messiah, who before was de- designated and appointed for you, even Jesus, whom heaven must receive, and retain until the time for the complete restoration or fully restore, full restoration of all that God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets uh, for ages past from the most ancient time in the memory of man. And so what we have here is an insight or an explanation uh, in the message of the Gospel. You know, it talks about repentance, but it connects repentance uh, to something bigger, grander. You know, your personal repentance is directly connected to the history of mankind, reaching all the way back to the earliest memories of mankind. All of the, prof- all of the promises that the prophets foretold are fulfilled in the person Jesus Christ. And we connect with Jesus Christ through re- repentance and faith and belief. And so the conclusion or, or the building up of the gospel message and the, the, the point of the gospel is that each and every individual needs to, to do this. Exactly what he says. To repent so that your sins will be washed away and that you can come into full um, uh, uh, restoration, being fully restored. Repentance is actually the re- our response. You, you think that repentance is the first act. Repentance is not an act. It's a response. Does that make sense? Alright? It's a response to what God has already done in sending Jesus Christ who died. It's a response to God's action uh, of sending Christ as Savior. And so when you hear the message as these people that the, uh, uh, the, the church was preaching, Peter was preaching to, they had heard the message of the Gospel that Jesus, whom they had crucified, was the Messiah that had been promised. And they, had, they didn't understand and they crucified Him. But repentance and coming uh, to Christ is actually the response. He initiated the action. He loved us first. We love Him because He first loved us. He loved us when we were in sin and in rebellion. And to the degree, how much did He love us? To the degree that He came as Christ and suffered and died on the cross. And in seeing that, when we comprehend, when we hear that message, the proper response is to repent. 
go, wow, the way I've been thinking and the way I've been behaving is wrong. I need to turn. The consequence of our response, response being repentance, the consequence of that is that our sins are erased, that we experience times of refreshing. How many want refreshment from God? You know, I believe that this means spiritual refreshment. That means in our spirit we're renewed. But I also believe it means emotional refreshment. I believe it means financial. How many want to be financially refreshed? How many want all our debts erased? Shaba. Do you believe that's part of the package? Physical restoration? Is that part of salvation? You know, salvation means to make whole, complete, not lacking in any way. And as sins are erased, we're going, to be, we're going to experience refreshment. And so when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, it shouldn't burn us out. If you're feeling burned out and depleted, that means you're doing it wrong. You need to repent of something. Because genuine repentance leads, the consequence is refreshment. Continual refreshment doesn't mean it's, it's easy all the time, but it means that you're continually refreshed. It means the uh, continuing consequences are that Christ is going to return. Now think about this. There's two applications of this. It, it actually says this, doesn't it? <clears throat> it says, repent that your sins may be raised, that times of refreshing uh, would come, right? From the present, and then, then what? Verse 20. And that he will send you Messiah. In other words, Jesus is going to come back when? After we repent and get refreshed. Oh. So there's something we have to do in order to enable the timing of God to proceed. Jesus, heaven, it says, he has to retain Jesus until... The fulfillment of all things. When is it going to be fulfilled? I challenge people. You know, I talk about people in the end times and, and, and when Christ is going to come back. And I say, you know, it's not a particular date. It's not like some arbitrary date that God set up. You know, 12-12-2012. of <laughs> Are you hearing me? Everybody thinks that Jesus is going to come back. That the, the day and the hour, you know, is already prescribed. How many have thought that? Maybe you don't think that now because I'm saying something about it. <laughs> You're going, what is he talking about? And do you know that Jesus is coming back, right? Yeah. All right, when he comes back, he's going to make everything right. Yeah. He's going to restore it, and everybody is going to be judged, believers as well as unbelievers. And you'll receive a reward based on what you've done in your life. All right? You will stand before the... the sea. But when is he going to come back? Is there some date? that you can figure out? Or does God clearly say, repeatedly through Scripture, it's when everything is fulfilled? In other words, there are things outstanding, things not yet come to fulfillment, that God is waiting for. The Gospel being preached in every, to every uh, nation and tribe, every people group, is one of the primary things that is still yet to be fulfilled. But here it says that our repentance and turning to Him and, and receiving refreshment actually is linked toward Christ's return. So the more people that repent, it, it gets us closer to the fulfillment. 
I believe personally we can apply that, that Christ comes and lives in your life in a very real way. But I also believe that he's talking about eschatologically uh, at, the, at the end time. <clears throat> i got I got to get going. This was my introduction. <laughs> and it says that complete... Uh, it says, whom heaven must receive until a time for complete restoration of all that God has spoken. And so the idea is is that we are promised complete restoration. That work actually is accomplished. When Jesus was on the cross, He said, it is finished. Alright? Jesus, God's act, what He did to accomplish full restoration was complete. Now we have to respond, and in responding we receive. Does that make sense? And so His promise is complete restoration. Now, I have a cell phone. Actually, I have like three cell phones. Which is kind of confusing. And uh, and uh, one, of, one on my on my plan. How many have a cell phone? How many have data coverage? All right. All right. So I signed up for unlimited data, right? And which to me means unlimited. Okay. And then all of a sudden, like last month, it said unlimited up to five gigabytes. I'm like, well, well, well wait a minute. What do you mean unlimited up to five gigabytes? <laughs> <laughs> and if you need more, then we can, you, it'll cost so much. I'm like, unlimited is unlimited. All right? If you say five gigabytes, then it's limited. Right? And I know what they're doing. And in, my plan predates this new plan. And they want to call it unlimited, but it's really limited to five. That's just ridiculous. All right. I had a, I had a road service with a company. I still have it, but uh, I really liked it because the car breaks down, you call them, they come and they fix it, you know, or tow the car or whatever. And I get this letter in the mail. This is a couple of years ago. It says uh, because of uh, excessive usage, you uh, has been determined that you've abused the service and we're canceling your account. <clears throat> I'm like, what? And I pull up. The paperwork and it says the the biggest thing that they promote is that they they have unlimited service calls. I pull up the website, unlimited service calls, Allstate limited, uh, all the other ones, you know, <laughs> AAA limited, us unlimited. <clears throat> so I, I print it all out and I call them. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, how many times how many times have I used it in the last year? And they thought, well, actually, sir, you haven't used it in the last year. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, but the year before that, you used it four times in a, in a calendar year. And I said, are you saying that using the service four times within a calendar year exceeds the allowable amount of times? Yes. I said, well, I'm holding in my hand a printout of your website that says there is unlimited service. Can I please speak to your manager? Uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, yeah, uh, just a moment, sir. And hands it over, talk to the manager, and her says, um, let me check on this, I'll call you back. <laughs> Seriously. He calls me, I'm sorry, sir, the computer made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Unlimited, really only four times. Use it more than four times, we'll cancel you. When Jesus says that he's going to fully restore us, you know, there's not an asterisk at the back of it. All right. 
He's not going to fix you up halfway. He really means it. He's not going to change the terms after you sign the contract. He's just. He's righteous. He wouldn't do that. He doesn't do that. It's not to His interest. We're not like a, a car that's been restored halfway that you know runs pretty good most of the time. Actually, restoration in the biblical sense is being made better than what you were in the beginning. That's really God's intention. And let's turn to an Old Testament um, story that kind of uh, uh, shows this in a person's life. 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, 1 through 19. 2 Kings. You know, in the old days, you'd hear rustling of paper. Kind of miss that. Maybe we can have a sound effect. <laughs> There you go. So this is a story about Naaman, who is a commander of the army um, of the king of Syria. Right? And the Israelites were chosen by God, delivered from Egypt. They'd settled in the promised land. This is years and years later after that. And um, at this point, another a nation had, had risen to power, a nation called Syria. And uh, they were fighting, and there was a number of, and, and one of their enemies was Israel, amongst other uh, greater powers. And Naaman was one of the commanders of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. So we're just going to read through this verse by verse and kind of pull out some things. First of all, God used a heathen. Okay, these Syrians were not Hebrews. They didn't follow the teachings of the Old Testament. They were complete heathen. In fact, they were the enemies of God's people. Yet it says that the Lord, and it's in all caps, so that means Yahweh, Jehovah, had given victory to Syria through this man. God used a heathen man, God, our God, Jesus, all right, just to make it clear, because you know Jesus and the Father didn't argue about this one. <laughs> now, and then let's just read the next verse. Says, so he was a mighty man of valor, but he had leprosy. Leprosy was a skin disease. You know, and eventually it led to really bad, like parts falling off. But you, some people can live with leprosy for a long time. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back a captive young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Okay, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. This guy not only was the commander of the enemy's army that had been had victory over God's people, but he actually had taken. Israelite girls as slaves. Huh? And God was okay with that. Was God okay with that? Would you be how think of the political advertisement that would would come from certain parties? Now, keep in mind, all of this was happening because Israel had not kept the covenant. And so they were suffering the consequences of rebellion. 
and, and, and not fulfilling God's covenant with him. And so the nation of Israel was, being, was, was in, going through some of these, uh, these chastisements as a result of failing to keep God's law. Nevertheless, God in his providence used this man who actually owned a slave, a young girl. That she, Think of the trauma of, of this girl being uh, captured from her home, taken back in to Syria and being turned into a slave all right, for, uh, to serve the commander of the army that was killing her own people. Military intrigue. I love this story. It's not an endorsement of slavery, certainly not an endorsement of a heathen political system. But we have to remember that sometimes, huh, all of the time, God is not limited by our political stuff. All right? I mean, too often we, we, we interpret God through our po- political lenses, the, the, the ideology that we've been raised with in America. And, and God's, God's so far beyond that. It doesn't mean He endorses these things, but He's not limited by our politics. Amen? He wants, to, he wants to influence, and we need to be influences of, of, of the political realm. But he's not limited by that. Think of the personal intrigue that's going on. Here's Naaman. He's great. He's honorable. He's, a, he's an awesome commander. He can, he can uh, uh, command armies to win. <clears throat> and think of the, the testimony of this young girl as a slave serving in this man's house. And here we see in verse 2, it says, The Syrians had gone out and came back and brought the captive young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. So she served his, his wife. And verse 3, it says, She said to her mistress, mistress Naaman's wife, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Wow! I don't know what you walk away from that, but I walk away going... Wow! If you were that young girl that had been taken a slave to a different country to serve the master, to serve the wife of a commander that was killing people back in your nation and, and dominating your, your, had enslaved your nation, would you be preaching to her, to them? Think of her faith. She was like, you know what? If he went to the prophet, he'd get healed. She wasn't looking at him as a, the evil heathen. She was looking at him as a sick man who needed healing, and she knew the answer. And so this, this young girl, probably a teenage girl, had the faith to witness in spite of terrible circumstances. She, you know, she wasn't doubtful about God because of her bad circumstances. You know, we start doubting God when the car doesn't start in the morning. You know? Or we don't get the promotion that we wanted. Alright? We find out this or that. This, this young girl didn't doubt God's love or affirmation or promises or ability or power. God was just as real and just as powerful, even though her circumstances were far more dire than any of ours could ever compare to. And she didn't allow her personal tragedy from, from sharing her faith. She witnessed to one. All right? 
like, like, like Rick was talking last week. She witnessed to that one. She said, hey, you know what? He can be healed. Think of the political intrigue. Later on we read, it says, uh, <clears throat> the Naaman went in and told his master. I, I kind of like how he sums it up. So there's this heathen guy, big strong army co- commander, going to the king and saying, um, <clears throat> King, um, there's this uh, girl in my house, and uh, she said thus and thus. That's what it actually says in Scripture, verse 4. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus <laughs> said the girl who is from the land of Israel. And then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king, and so they were kind of working out a deal with the king. It says, Now be advised, king of Syria, major military political power, writing to the king of Israel, uh, subordinate political power. It says, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. The king sent it to the other king. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? And that this man sends, uh, that this man sends a man to me to heal of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So he's thinking of it from the political point of view. The military point of view. Ah! Oh. The king of Syria, he's trying to do something to, 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 to take offense so that he can attack our nation again. What am I going to do? You know, he's looking at it through the political mind uh, point of view. But Elijah finds out about it. Verse 8. So it was when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. You know, Elijah was probably following him on Twitter. <laughs> Hashtag sackcloth. (laughs) Bad news. So he sends him a message. He says, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Right, And so there's political intrigue, but there's also this spiritual religious intrigue or dynamic going on. And Naaman comes. So Elijah convinces the king, says, okay, let him come. And Naaman, his commander, comes in verse 9 says, Then he went with his horses and a chariot, and he stood at the door of Elijah's house. So he comes up, boom, 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 big chariots, horses, commander, probably had all his gear on, gets off his horses, stands at the prophet's house. And the prophet, Elijah, actually uh, sends out a messenger to him. He didn't even go to the door. He says, go, he told his messenger, tell, tell Naaman to go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. That's it. And Naaman became furious, verse 11, and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, underline that, okay? I said to myself, he had expectations. All right? He had preconceived what was going to happen. He was going to show up. He even actually says, it. I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. First of all, the prophet's going to come to me because I am Naaman. All right? I kicked your guys' behinds and can do it whenever I want. 
He surely will come out and stand and call on the name of His Lord. I love this. And wave His hands over the place. You know, He was expecting some... Right? Some show. You know? (coughs) Something's going to happen and heal the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa, some other rivers, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he was ticked off. So he went and turned away in rage. And his servant, another servant, came near and spoke to him and said, My father, dressed him with honor, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? You know, if he'd given you some great challenge, climb a mountain, you know, uh, get this... Get the witch's broom and bring it back. <laughs> you would have done it, right? How much more when he says, just go and be washed. So he went, you know, and Naaman goes, yeah, okay. You got me there. <clears throat> he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the uh, saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He was clean. That restoration, the word clean there actually means, uh, I have it written down here somewhere. It means to be bright, to be pure, unadulterated, Levitically uncontaminated, innocent. He was completely cleansed by being obedient to this simple command. He didn't have to do something great. He didn't have to climb some mountain. He just had to go to the Jordan and dip himself in seven times. And the result of his obedience was complete restoration of his body. Think of it. The commander of a heathen army that had enslaved the daughter of one of God's people. In every way, this man was untouchable to a religious Jew. In every way. He was a Gentile. He was practicing ungodly religion. He was an enemy of the state. He he, He enslaved people. And he was a leper. And God healed him. The prophet spoke healing to him. And he didn't have to do something great, did he? All he had to do was respond in obedience to the simple word of go to the Jordan, wash and be cleansed. Now there's something significant about the Jordan. The Jordan was the boundary of the promised land. Alright? The Jordan was a river that... Um, uh, 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 Joshua led the Israelites through at the end of their wandering. It, it was the crossing from the wilderness into the promised land. The Jordan was where J- Jesus was baptized. And so Naaman fulfills... A, a, this, is, this is a picture of coming into relationship with the living God. No, and this is a person that was so far from relationship to the living God, all he had to do was come to the Jordan. He had to hear the word from the prophet, and he had to respond with obedience. And that obedience looked like this. Don't do anything great. 
Don't do anything grand. In everything that you could do could never measure up. All you have to do is submit yourself in obedience. Be baptized in the Jordan. Come to the border. Remember what the prophet says? Let him come to me and he'll know that there is a prophet in Israel. In other words, I'm going to establish that the true and living God is here. God dwells here. How? By making the commander go to Jordan. Jordan was the boundary. And he was dipped in the Jordan seven times. He was baptized. He had to do it out of obedience. And in doing that, in responding out of obedience to the word that was spoken, he was fully restored. His skin was as new as as a child. He experienced that restoration. Do you see how it worked out in his life? Obedience led to complete restoration. Sound familiar to what Peter preached earlier? Repent and you'll be saved. Alright? You'll be washed clean. You'll be clean, just like Naaman was clean. Uh, uh, and, and, and it goes on. The story set, uh, finishes up with him. It says he was restored in his flesh like a little child. He was clean. He returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take this gift from your servant. This is a confession of faith. He got, he got saved, in essence, here. He realized that Yahweh was the true God. Jehovah was the true God. And he, out of obedience, received his healing. And the prophet said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but to the Lord. From that point on, he worshipped the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimmon to worship, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of, of Rimmon. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, uh, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. So the idea is that he took back dirt on which he could put on the ground so that when he worshipped, he would be worshipping on the soil of Israel. Alright? He extended the kingdom. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Guess what? God's calling you and I to the same place. Maybe you're Naaman, right? And 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 you're you're unclean, or you're politically not right, <laughs> or you're on the enemy's side. All right. And you need that healing. You need to come and receive the simple obedience. You know, by faith we are saved. It's not through some great work that we have to accomplish. It's simply by believing the message and receiving that truth and being baptized, coming into the boundaries, coming into the place of worship. And he lived it out the rest of his life according to this passage. Or maybe you're the slave girl. You know, if you've come to the place where you've accepted the Lord, but you're in a place uh, that you don't like, and you're being called to be the witness. All right? You need to tell someone. And you know what? Tell someone you don't think ought to be saved. Are you hearing me? Find someone in your, in your life. You know, there's people that we think, they'll never come to Jesus. Those are probably the most ripe people. But find someone. You know, each day, say, just one. 
and minister. Or maybe you're, you're like uh, Naaman's servant who just has to, uh, to encourage him. You know, when the messenger came, maybe you're the messenger. Maybe you actually are the one that communicates the gospel. Maybe you're the prophet. Or maybe you're like the servant who just says, you know, Naaman, it doesn't sound like much, but why don't you go up to the prayer team and, and pray that prayer? Or it doesn't sound like much, but would you be willing to just ask Jesus right now to reveal himself to you? Okay, that's just that little encouragement that comes along and says, you know, why don't you try it? What can you lose? And really, most of us need to walk in both those places, don't we? Because sometimes we're naming, and sometimes we're called to be the servant girl all right, in our lives. Sometimes we need to repent, and sometimes we need to be the one who shares the message of repentance and ask some uh, and and encourage someone else to come in. And so the whole point is that we're fully restored completely and we're called to extend God's kingdom by inviting others into the place of full restoration. Amen. Some announcements? Awesome.